Well, good morning, Eagle Mount. And uh, thanks, Marlo, for that uh, warm introduction, but it does arise from years of friendship and uh, enjoyment, everything from squash games to being involved in uh, major youth events and just enjoying being couples together. I can't believe they're grandparents. Wow, it happens to a lot of us. That's amazing. So uh, a lot of great memories. Uh, I was in my father's house uh, last night. I uh, enjoyed singing that song uh, and thinking about your father's house, you know. And uh, in my jacket there, I have the key that my dad gave to me in that house in northeast Edmonton in 1963 when we first moved in. And I was just a little kid coming home from elementary school and had to get in during the daytime. I still got the same key and it opens the same lock uh, in 2018. Isn't that great? And uh, it was especially meaningful to always come home to Edmonton and had uh, some great activities on Friday with our district and honoring uh, the fine woman who served as my administrative assistant uh, 30 years ago. So uh, it's just been a great weekend. Plus, I finally got to Roger's place and watch my team uh, beat Minnesota 7-2. to two. So I want you to know there's a loyal Oiler fan all over the planet, wherever I go. I, I hope some Oiler fans are out there anyways, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> um, but I do have this great privilege, and it is really an amazing privilege to uh, be uh, a national superintendent with a group of churches, almost 1,200 that reach across Canada, different sizes, different shapes. I sometimes say I'm the head of Chameleon Ministries because uh, every group is different and, uh, and yet it has the same heart and we have the same sense of mission, which I'm going to talk about today. And uh, you're part of that, but we're also involved internationally in over 70 countries. We're having great impact in so many different ways. Uh, our International Relief and Development Organization, ERDO, is always ranked as one of Canada's top charities uh, by the different organizations that do that kind of ranking. But more important is the life change that it brings, uh, whether it's people sharing the good news of Jesus through planting churches or by educating uh, church leaders around the globe or being involved in holistic ministry and doing justice and loving mercy. Um, you're part of that, and I appreciate the way Eagle Mount has always leaned in right from your very beginnings and uh, been part of us both uh, right here in Alberta, but then nationally and internationally. So thank you so much, and uh, I just want to honor you for that today. Um, our mission within the Pentecostal church is simply stated to glorify God by making disciples everywhere by proclaiming and practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. I would state this, as I've been really re-engaging it just in the last few weeks, as our greatest challenge. And especially as I consider about reaching, discipling, seeing leadership developed within those that are younger in age. When we live in the culture that we live in, when we live with the influences that there are, um, this mission becomes more than words to me. 
to make disciples. Now, we didn't just make that up as a group of churches. That, of course, flows straight from Jesus' own call and commission to his disciplined followers, his disciples. And he had poured into their lives and transformed their lives and taught them truth and empowered them with the Spirit so that they could go and make disciples into contexts where at that point nobody knew the good news. They were going to places where no one had any comprehension at all about what they would be talking about or how they lived or had no idea of the kind of transformation that this group of followers of Jesus would bring to those cities, those nations, and eventually, as you know, the world. So in 2018 in Canada, our great challenge is to return to that mission, and that is the metric even that Eagle Mount will be measured by. Um, we're part of a Pentecostal community. I happen to enjoy being part of leadership internationally in the Pentecostal Charismatic Church. Uh, I meet with a whole plethora of different leaders who have different style churches and different works of the Spirit going on and so on in nations around the world. In fact, we're going to be gathering in Calgary in August 27th to 30th for the Pentecostal World Conference, and we're hosting it along with some of our other sister organizations across Canada. And I encourage you to come because just again, the potpourri of, of uh, ministries and even emphasis and work of the Spirit is amazing. But no matter how you brand it, no matter who your favorite worship is, no matter what the DNA of different groups are, the bottom line is when you bring it all down, we all have the same mission. We are to make disciplined followers of Jesus. And you can say great things are happening and there's all sorts of excitement going on, whether it's here in Canada, U.S., or around the world, but in the end... As I travel globally and as I interact with global leaders, they will say that our greatest challenge in the midst of making a lot of converts and sometimes having a lot of excitement, the greatest challenge is discipleship. It's that people actually end up looking like Jesus and that they help others to look like Jesus. So it's important to remind ourselves today that this is the metric of Jesus for us who are part of his church, that this is what we are called to. And to make disciples is a process. As you see there, it involves spirit empowerment. Jesus would not even let them leave until they had received power when the Holy Spirit would come on them so that they could be these witnesses, so that they could go and make disciples. And so the reality is, is if you're going to run into a fellow Canadian, someone here in Beaumont, Edmonton, somewhere, and you're going to see them become a disciplined follower of Jesus, you do not have the ability in your own niceness or wise speech or other things, you do not have the ability to transform a life. 
I do not have the ability to transform a life. I can't crawl into a spirit of a person and transform them from death to life. I can't help them go from darkness to light. Now, I can be a messenger. I can be one who represents the good news. But in the end, Jesus said, you need the Holy Spirit to bring transformation in people's lives. It's his empowerment. It's his ability. And so he reminded us in his teaching to his disciples, the Spirit is the one who will convict of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. And in 2018 in Canada, none of those are popular messages. <laughs> are we agreed? Sin. Ooh. It's more important to be inclusive than to talk about sin. Now, I'm a very, you gotta get, you're going to get me wrong if you don't understand how I love fellow Canadians, how I have so many people in my life that don't know Jesus, and I deeply love them. But I believe every single Canadian needs to be liberated from selfishness and their sinfulness and the things that would tear them down, the things that will waste them, the things that would, uh, the evil one would try to use to destroy them. They need life. They need freedom. They need to walk away from the things that would destroy sin, selfishness, the evil that is around us in our culture. They need to be set free. And the Spirit is the one that will convict them of that. Not some guy up here yelling and screaming. You share the Word. The Word is strong, but it's the Spirit that convicts of sin, of selfishness, and convicts of what's right, righteousness, and what's wrong. So that people begin not to be the blind led by the blind, but they actually understand truth. And it sets them free. And they know what's right. They know what's right in family relationships. They know what's right in their business. They know what's right about being in right relationship with God and right relationship with others. They know how to express forgiveness, you see. It's the Spirit that empowers all of that, that does the work. And that's why this church needs to be an spirit-empowered community. It needs to be constantly a place where you as men and women, younger men, younger women, are hungry for the Spirit to be at work. Not just in an hour and a quarter here on a Sunday, but day in, day out, 24-7, to know that we need the Spirit to be alongside of us. Because I don't know how to change Canada. I don't know how to touch my neighbor's life without the Spirit of God bringing transformation. And it's Him that will make truth come alive in people's lives. Paul prayed that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened so that they would see and understand truth that sets free. Uh, this culture we live in today is full of lies, full of deception, blind leading the blind, it happens even into the life of the church. There's theological drift that takes place that draws people away from the centrality of Christ, the work he's done, his cross, Jesus as the one and only. And it starts to turn it into just a therapeutic club that comes so people can self-actualize and realize their own potential. Well, in Christ, you will realize your calling and your full potential, and you will be fulfilled. And you will know meaning, and yes, you will know happiness in the sense of blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But there's a lot of lies that would tear us down. 
that would deceive us about how you live your life. Truth sets free. And Jesus said, you must teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's part of the mission. To make disciples means that we work with those who are young in faith or young in age. Even in our own lives, we choose discipleship and we say, I want to know truth that sets free. Jesus came into this world and pitched his tent amongst us. He came and lived amongst humans out of his great love for them. And he was full of grace and truth. Gracious truth. I pray that the church across Canada gets immersed and baptized in gracious truth. Not legalistic, you know, angry, making enemies of neighbors kind of, but still, like Jesus, full of gracious truth. And we do that out of relationship. We go among like Jesus did. As you are going, Jesus said, you have this mission. This is what we're about. This is what I'm about, not just on Sunday morning, doing what I do here. This is what I do on Tuesdays and Thursdays and when I'm working with organizers of major events and when I'm keeping in touch through social media with different friends and colleagues and with my friend who's an imam and I'm constantly communicating back and forth with him and this deepening relationship and his trust to begin to have honest conversations, you see. Uh, this is how you make disciples. It's, it's not just something that's done detached. You have to, like Jesus, go and be among like Jesus, he gave himself to a circle of people and was in relationship with them so that they could observe them, so that they could see what were the things that he taught and how he lived it out and the mercy he showed. And yes, even the anger he showed at things that were unjust. They saw it all because they were in relationship. Now, what are the contexts that we have and what the scriptures emphasize for making disciples. Well, here's one that hits pretty close to most of us. And that's found in the context of the family. And I'm reading Deuteronomy 6, 4-9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. When you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So if you go through the early Deuteronomy and as the law is being given and as there's this call to be uh, this sacred community that God intends them to be, then it turns in Deuteronomy 6 to really zero in on what becomes known as the great command, the command that Jesus will emphasize as part of his discipleship and his teaching. All the laws, all the commandments, they're summarized by this. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. You should love neighbor as yourself. 
And Israel received these commands in how they worshiped God and put him first, had no idols, etc. And also how they treated neighbor and even strangers and as they're referred to aliens amongst them. They're, all, they're given all these laws and stipulations. Why? Because they're to live out the great command. Because they are this people of God that are to be like a light to the nations. And as they live in right relationship with God and with one another, they become a light that people are actually attracted to and drawn to. So it's no uh, coincidence that the Jesus in his teaching then begins to speak to his disciples, his people, and tell them, and you are the light of the world. And you are also the ones that you'll be set on a hill. You'll be up on a hill for people to see your light. They'll be drawn to you because this is who the people of God are when they love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they love neighbor as themselves. So the great command is to be on their hearts, and it's to be expressed 24-7 again, every day, all day long. And the first context is to be expressed in is within the family. Impress them on your children. So the understanding is that uh, father-mother would have this mutual commitment to the covenant that they are in with God and with God's people. It's not just something that they choose as a side interest uh, alongside of all the other commitments they have. No, no. This is part of being a covenant community. It's part of being in covenant with God. And they are living this way then within their family together. That's why the only way to understand biblical marriage is not to understand it in the terms of uh, romantic love as painted in the media. It has to be understood in covenantal love. This is a covenantal loving uh, oneness that comes between husband and wife as they develop a family, you see. And if they're blessed with children and are given children, then that home is to be a place of discipleship. It's to be a place where children have impressed on them what it looks like to love God 100%, what it's like to love neighbor, what it's like to be family with all that that entails. And you know and I know, it gets pretty complicated. It entails a lot of things. But it's to be impressed on their children. If you are here today and you have children and grandchildren, the number one mission in your life is to be a disciplined follower of Jesus, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, to love neighbor as yourself, and then it is to make disciples of your children and your grandchildren. Right? How are we? Number one calling. This is where... Either the gospel of Jesus is spread and multiplied, first of all, in the home, or it isn't. If parents make other priorities about their home, if they do not have the discipline to see whether the good news of Jesus is being oppressed upon sons and daughters, and even us who are grandparents or grandchildren, I am constantly, every day, bringing my kids, they're in their 30s now. They're both, they're all married, three of them. There are seven grandchildren living and one who's gone on to heaven. We've walked through all that stuff. 
I wake up every morning and I look at the photos of my grandkids on the end of our hallway. And the first thing, it's almost like the first mandate I wake up to every morning when I'm home. And I look in Presley's eyes and I see Ethan there. And I remember Sylvie. And on and on you go, the seven that are living. And I look and I'm impressed that the first thing grandpa must do is to help them to see what a great life it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love neighbor as yourself, to not end up as a nasty old guy that's mad at the world and mad at grandma and mad at everything else, but to show them what a beautiful thing it is to be empowered by the Spirit, to be alert to what God would teach them, and to be part of the whole process of seeing them become lovers of God and lovers of others. And I'll tell you, it's not easy. It's not easy with our kids. It's not even easy with my adult kids. We continue to have many major conversations processing what's going on in Canadian culture today, continuing to process, you know, and sometimes it's connected to the political world. And I go, God help us, you know, (laughs) because it's so polarized and it's so pulled apart. And I have to remind my kids, you know what? Your mission in life in the end is not to end up as liberal or conservative. It's not to end up left-wing or right-wing. Your mission in life is to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And you get the privilege of bringing out the love, the gracious truth. You get to do mercy and love just, do, do justice and love mercy as a follower of Jesus. And sometimes that will leave you over on this side of the political spectrum. Sometimes that may take you over there. But in the end, be a follower of Jesus more than anything else. You know, what we're facing in our culture today is not new. Even the underpinnings of theological drift and false teaching, you go back in the first century, it's all there. The first church had to deal with this. They had to deal with all the things that drag people away from a, an actual, tangible relationship with the living Christ, Jesus, the one and only who died on the cross for them, who rose again, who lives today as Lord of the church and Lord of their lives, who brings glory to God the Father, who has given them the Holy Spirit to live. They're constantly being dragged away from that to something that's much more self-oriented and focused on self and much more metaphorical. You know, it just first century stuff all over again. And it happened in the fourth century. And it happened, it goes on and on and on. And it's why the teaching of the Bible is so apropos when it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And how do you renew your mind? You know the truth that sets free. Discipleship involves truth. Teaching to observe. And so in the future, when your son Jonathan asks you, like my son Jonathan did as a first-year university student, and he'd written a paper, Why I Can't Be a Christian Anymore, and his biggest issue, because he's so mercy-oriented and so justice-oriented, was he was with friends in school and so on that he found had much more integrity, much more character than church friends. He didn't understand why Jesus was the one and only and how that became a dividing line. He had to wrestle through all that. 
but my son asked the questions, and we went heart to heart, mind to mind. But in the end, as I said earlier, it was the Spirit of God that met my son in his bedroom late at night, and, the Lord, and Jonathan felt the Lord by the Spirit speaking to him heart to heart and mind to mind so that my son with full integrity could come out after a season and say, I've chosen to love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I believe that Jesus is the one and only. But I'll tell you, he's the most merciful and just guy you'd ever want to meet on the planet. Right now he runs a regional office for Habitat for Humanity as he expresses his heart of mercy. But he does it as a follower of Jesus. Because you can do that. But you know, it means having those kind of conversations, mom and dad, with your sons and daughters. And grandma and grandpa with your grandsons and granddaughters in the context of the home. And as they were to impress it upon them and as they were to give answers, they were supposed to refer to what their spiritual story and journey had been as a covenant people, but was also the case today. These parents were supposed to be able to point at not just memories, not just concepts, but living faith lived out today. Dad and mom, how's your living faith? Do you have a contagious faith that your kids want to follow? Grandma and grandpa, is it a living faith? As is the case today. The next context, just to highlight, and these uh, two run together, so we'll probably fast forward to them. But there was an understanding within the community of faith that you would also be mentored by the wise. In the Old Testament, this was demonstrated by the schools of wisdom. Uh, young men would go to schools of wisdom where they were trained by sages, by uh, older men that were able to share with them uh, biblical principles and wisdom from uh, the Word of God and from the community. Uh, younger women were in schools that were instructed by the women. Proverbs gives us uh, the wisdom that came out of uh, a male context. And so sometimes when you read the Proverbs and you, you think, well, that's being a little unfair to women. Well, it's just that the teaching is being done man to man. And you believe me, in the women's schools, you'll find that the teaching also gave a lot of wisdom about what to do with guys, you know. So it's like this school of wisdom. But at the core of it was this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Proverbs 9 should be imprinted on every single person who says, I want to be a disciplined follower of Jesus, that we would clearly understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One, to know the tangible truths, the characteristics, the nature of the Almighty, of the Holy One, His holiness, His love, his justice, his mercy, all the things that are true about the Almighty, his creative power, that knowledge brings understanding. 
And so in the Proverbs, you will see that there is this understanding that from generation to generation, you need to pass on knowledge. Knowledge is the base that you build on. You have to have know-how. You know, Sue and I got married here in Edmonton when I was uh, going on 20 years old. I'm not supposed to say that publicly. She wants me to pretend I was a mature guy. I was. I just happened to be 19. But anyways, you know. And I had some knowledge of marriage because I was forced to read a book or two. And I dated Sue, you know, for a couple years. Of course, I knew everything about marriage, right? Yeah. So you, you discover you need to know more. And after a period of time and actually being married together here in Edmonton, going down to Calgary, up to Red Deer, out to Ontario, back here to Alberta, you know, you're always learning. You get more knowledge, but what's happening is you're gaining a lot of understanding. Stuff you never understood before as a guy about this is how your wife thinks compared to how you think. Whoa, scary, you know, and then you try to sort it all out, knowledge, understanding. You get more and more understanding. This isn't just true of marriage or it's true of, it's true of all of life, really, isn't it? You've got a knowledge base. I've met some people with knowledge of God's Word. In fact, they know God's Word real good, but they don't really understand what it is teaching, and they turn out to be really nasty people. You know, so knowledge alone doesn't cut it. You need understanding, and with the understanding, you then know how to apply that knowledge and understanding to life. That's wisdom. The culture today is crying out for wise people, sages, people with wisdom, people who know how to walk through things, people who know how to deal with disappointment, people who know how to engage and actually build and make a life and make a family, wisdom. And in the Bible, it's very clear amongst the community of faith that that needs to be passed on. That's passed on intergenerationally. That's passed on from those who are mature in faith to those that are younger in faith so that people can know knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. And this is the troika that runs through all of Proverbs and through all the wisdom that the Scripture has. And we have a culture today, especially a younger culture, that is crying out for wisdom. I would say the ability to provide wisdom is one of the greatest methods of bearing out witness of who Jesus is to our culture today. Just to live life in wisdom. Because then people will ask you a reason for the hope that you have. They will see how you're living such good lives, wise lives, like Peter describes, that they actually ask you, how do you do that? So in my sports ministry involvements, we came to the Pan Am Games in 2015, and we were just opening up the village for the athletes, to, and they had started to arrive. And uh, I'd had... Uh, a night the night before, Susan helping me to orientate and welcome our international chaplains who had joined us from outside of Toronto and Ontario and had come to be with us. And we happened to do that on the night of our 40th wedding anniversary. Happy anniversary, son, hon, you know. But I, I married well. I married with a woman with equal calling from God. 
a woman who strongly pursues what God called her to do. And somehow he decided that we should do that elbow to elbow together. And by doing that elbow to elbow together, there's been this tremendous unity and ability to touch lives and to be in context and so on. So there's my wife on our 40th anniversary helping me with the orientation for these chaplains that have come to the Pan Am Games. Well, the next morning I walk in and my friend who I've been working with ever since the Vancouver Olympics and who we've built a real trust relationship and she has Catholic background. She's very open to trying to understand more about God and Jesus. But she's, you know, also well immersed in the culture that we live in. And I walk in and she's got all of her people that are part of the operation of the village sitting there. And she's giving them a lecture because she knows that a number of them, they're a lot younger than her and younger than me. And they've already been messing around with some of the athletes. They've been so attracted by these people and all these fit bodies and stuff and so on. And she's just trying to make clear to them that this is not what they're there to do. And she's trying to basically be a mum to them, give them a little wisdom. I come in and she says, Dave, where you been? And uh, what you been doing? And they're kind of like, well, we just welcome. We did the, uh, uh, you know, the orientation for the international chaplain oh that's great great yeah and I said then plus we celebrated our 40th what 40 years that's how you you know they're going and then and then all of a sudden she said Dave you got to tell these people tell them how is it that you can live in a relationship with somebody else for 40 years okay do you get the picture a table full of young adults all of them thinking that the cool thing right now is to hook up, mess around, casual stuff. Because you've got these athletes all around, all these people. You've got someone who's a little older, gotten a little wiser, saying, you know, that isn't the best thing to do, but wondering how to communicate it. And then in God's timing, I'm able to share about 40 years of relationship based on our understandings that are rooted in God's word about marriage is this great opportunity to be one, to become one, that we get to enjoy intimacy like other human beings don't necessarily get to enjoy. Why? Because you know intimacy in all dimensions of life. And I talked about, and what I basically did was I did my premarital counseling in six minutes on the areas of oneness and intimacy. And, and folks, we take for granted the wisdom and the power of the good news that we know. And when I shared the wisdom and the love and the understanding about what it was like to be married to a woman for 40 years, that you could actually share spirit to spirit, heart to heart, that we had this mutual love for God and love for others that knit us together, even when we had to walk through bereavement like the loss of our first grandchild or all the things we faced in life, to have faith in the same God, to walk in the same sense of spiritual intimacy and to know that oneness. I just looked at them all and said, I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. And you know what? In that circle of well over a dozen young adults, mostly Canadian, mostly graduate students, there was not a dry eye because what is our younger generation in Canada longing for more than intimacy with God and intimacy with others? 
While the British government is appointing cabinet ministers for loneliness, while we're dealing with a plague of mental depression and, and people that are trapped in addictions and so on, and this is not to judge them, this is to say into such a context and culture, you come as a disciplined follower of Jesus, a lover of God, a lover of others, and you have been given wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that this culture longs for. And the greatest wisdom of all is Christ Jesus, the wisdom of God given to all. That's who we are. That's our mission. That's the greatest privilege that God has ever granted to us, that we would be his children called by his name, chosen so that we could go and make disciplined followers who themselves would be set free, who would know truth, who would know the grace of God, who would know his love and mercy so that they too could be lovers of God and lovers of others. Eaglemount, this is what you're about. This is who you are more than anything else. Husband and wife, your family, mom raising your kids or dad raising your kids in the context that you have, this is who you are. You're helping those younger than yourself in faith and younger than yourself in age to become followers of Jesus, lovers of God, lovers of others, and they will be set free. They will know life and life to the full. Everything that our culture is craving for is found in him. It's found in him. And he lives in us. What a privilege to make disciples. If this is your commitment. First of all, your commitment is, I don't care what age you are, because any age, you can have the influence of making disciples. But it starts by you saying, I am committed to be a disciple of Jesus myself, to love God, heart, soul, mind, strength, and then to love neighbors myself if you want to renew your commitment as a disciple of Jesus, would you stand with me right now? I'm standing. I need to do this consistently in my own life. I need to remind myself that I'm not just called to have a profession where I go about being a general superintendent. That's a calling, but underneath it, I'm called to be a disciplined follower of Jesus on Sunday, December 9th, as much as I ever was in all the years previous. And now let's offer ourselves to the Lord and just say, Lord, here we are. Would you just have upraised hands with mine right now as a sign of surrender? Lord, here I am. I'm inviting those that are younger, just 
say, here I am, Jesus. I've still got a lot to learn, haven't got it all sorted out yet. You might be like my son, having a lot of questions right now. That's, we're not afraid of that. Jesus is not afraid of that. But just with upraised hands, say, here I am. We want to follow you, Jesus. We want to pursue you. Thanks for making yourself known. Thanks for giving us understanding through your word and by your spirit and the fact that you're with us every day. Lord, I pray from the youngest to the oldest in this room right now that there would be a renewed call, a stirring up of the calling to be disciplined followers of you. I pray, Lord, that you will stir up first love, that we, Lord, will return fully, wholeheartedly to that first love of loving you and pursuing you and knowing you. We hunger and we thirst for righteousness. Lord, everything in this culture reminds us how desperately we need you, how we want you, how we long for you. And thank you that you make yourself known to us. We respond to you, Lord Jesus. So here we are offering ourselves to you. In all of our callings of life, all the different roles we have, all the different places that uh, this uh, group of people hang out 24-7, thank you that they can be a disciplined follower of you with the help of your spirit, wherever that is, every school, every workplace, every neighborhood, every hockey rink, followers of you. Now, Lord, we pray that we will not just walk alone. In fact, you don't allow us to in your expectations. Lord, you expect us to offer those places, those schools of wisdom. In the New Testament, you talked in Titus 2 about those that are older and mature teaching those that are younger. And again, there'd be contexts where young men would hear from mature men and younger women would hear from mature women. Lord, I pray in Eagle Mount there will be loads of intergenerational relationships. I pray, Father, that we will learn from one another. But Lord, that all of us will know our responsibility to pass on the faith, to impress on others by just our love for you and how contagious we are and how true your word is. May we come like Jesus into many different relationships with gracious truth. And will you, Lord, be at work through us so that especially younger men and younger women will rise up and be all that you call them to be. We pray for our own children. Right now, pray for your own children. We pray for our own children, Lord. We pray for grandchildren, Lord. We pray within the context of family. Some of us came to faith before parents did or other brothers and sisters did. Lord, we pray that we'll be the living example to those who do not yet know you or who are young in faith themselves. Lord, in families, let them be strong in you. Let them know, Lord, a focus. Lord, give wisdom. Give wisdom in every home, Lord about how to engage your truth, how to live out your life, how to practice the presence of the Spirit in the home. Help us, Lord. Bring it right down to where we live 24-7.
And Lord, I pray in this church, I pray as there are yet those even here today who would just be on the verge or have just come to living faith in Jesus, I pray they know that they will never have to walk alone because there will always be those in Eagle Mount who are looking for those younger in faith or those not yet who have discovered Jesus and they will give them lives to make disciples, to impress, to love, to care, to show mercy, give truth. Lord, I pray that Eagle Mount Christian Church would be a disciple-making community for the glory of God and so that Jesus is lifted up. May they do that in the power of the Spirit, I pray. And everyone said, amen. Thank you. God bless you.